This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. We doing we doing all right, everybody? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, we're gonna do a little, little show of hands. I just like to get to know people. Do you prefer the cold? Okay. 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 Hold on. Hold on. You have six months of summer heat, or six months of thirty-two degrees freezing. Which are you picking? Heat? Cold? Holy buckets, what? All of y'all are in Texas and you want like, give me the half a year of cold weather? Man, that really surprised me. This also feels really loud. Is it really loud or is it just me? It's a little loud? Uh, let's see, uh, Malia, will you turn me down just a scotch? Just a touch. So, uh, just a scotch. What does it even mean? I don't know. I don't know. The things we say, the things we say. You know, think about this morning, uh, the elephant in, in a room. Like, why an elephant? Like, why couldn't it be a giraffe? Like, how does it come up with an elephant? I don't know. At, so, at some point, there must have been an elephant in the room. Somebody's like, is anybody going to address this actual elephant in the room? And then it just took off. So, the things that go in my head. Uh, my name's Corey. If I haven't met um, one of the pastors here, I was telling, I was telling someone earlier, uh, just in case you're like, man, who are you? Where did you come from? Uh, we started this church about three years ago, uh, and, and so we're, we're still pretty young in this world. We're still uh, toddlers, uh, as we like to describe it, uh, and so we're glad that you are a part of this journey with us. Um, our hope, our hope is not to start a church, and I know that may be like, what are you doing then, man? Um, our hope is not to, be, to have another church in Austin. Our hope is to be a place where people genuinely encounter the living God and their lives are transformed by him. That is a wildly different aim. You know, you can start a church and a religious organization and, 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 and completely miss God. Happened all the time in the Bible. It's happened all the time throughout history, right? We want to be a place where people truly encounter the living God and their lives are transformed. We just think a church will naturally follow after that. Um, it'll take care of itself. Uh, so that is our hope. Um, our hope is that as we open God's word and we read it and we, we talk about it, that we're not just reading words printed on a piece of paper, a piece of literature, but we're actually reading and hearing God speak to us um, Gosh, if all you do is hear me talk for a few minutes about Mark 9, what a waste, man. Don't, like, just podcast it and listen to it in the car sometime if you want to. Um, but we actually believe this is the words of God speaking to us from his word. And so um, our hope is that you will hear God uh, today from Mark chapter 9. Um, anyone had the flu recently? Yeah? Um, it's miserable, right? Um, I think the most often description I hear of, of the flu is like death. I think that I think I was like on death's doorstep. Um, I haven't had the flu in a long time, so I, I don't really recall. But I do know that if you go to the doctor and they're like, let's test it out, and like, what are your symptoms? And you're like, well, my body feels like death and it's on fire, um, and I, I, my head hurts and, and it's achy and everything, right? And I got this fever, and, and they're like, great, go take some Tylenol and it'll feel better, right? It's like, okay, cool. Um, maybe the Tylenol will help with the symptoms, but it's not actually addressing the, the virus inside of you that is destroying you from the inside out, right? You're like, give me antibiotics, please, so that we can address the root issue. Today, in Mark 9, we see a, we see a problem. We, we see a boy, a child, possessed by an evil spirit. We see a problem, but Jesus' point in Mark 9 is that the bigger problem is not that there is a boy possessed by an evil spirit. There is a bigger problem at play. The boy possessed by a spirit is the symptom. 
there's something beneath it that Jesus wants to get to the root of so that the symptoms can then be resolved. If you just address the symptom, the root will just keep growing and bring it back. There's a bigger issue at play. And so the point that Jesus wants us to make today, the point that I want us, to, gosh, I want us to hear and to, to, to believe in the depths of our soul is that the breakthrough that we are looking for in our lives today, next month, a year from now, the breakthroughs that we are looking for does not come from a change in our circumstances. It comes from within. The breakthrough that you want today, that I want today, does not come from my circumstances changing. It comes from a faith in Jesus who is bigger than my circumstances. That looks nice on a coffee mug or, or like written on some journal, but for us to truly believe that is life-changing. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will move that into our hearts and into the depths of us. Um, I, I, want to, I want to pick back up in, in Mark 9. Um, actually, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So uh, Carson started reading in Mark chapter 9 for us, right, where um, you, you got Jesus. He's coming down from the, the mountain in the transfiguration, and it says in verse 14 that he comes down with Peter, James, and John, and there's a crowd of people gathered around, and, and you've got scribes who are the religious leaders, right? They're the, they're the protectors of the Old Testament, right? They're the ones that know the Old Testament forwards and backwards, right? And so if someone's like preaching the Old Testament, but it's not accurate, the scribes are like, false, Heretic, get it right. So the scribes know their Old Testament Bible. So you got that crew, you got Jesus' disciples, and you just got a crowd of people, and there's arguing going on. And so Jesus is like, What is happening? Right? And that's what he asked them in verse 16. What are you arguing about with them? Finally, someone raises their hand and steps up. Teacher, verse 17, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. We, we see the father later also describes in verse 20 when Jesus asked, you know, how long has this been happening? And, and he, he answers um, in verse 21, from childhood, it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and, and help us. And so Jesus comes down and there's an argument happening because this father brings his, his possessed son, this, his son, his child with an evil spirit that is possessing him, brings him to, to Jesus so that Jesus can, can cast out this spirit. But, but Jesus isn't home, right? Jesus is on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And so the father's like, hey, Jesus' disciples, can you do this for us? Can you cast out the spirit? And they are not able. And so now an argument has in, ensued. What's the argument about? We're, we're not totally sure, but it, we know that it has to be around the fact that the disciples tried to cast out the spirit. They tried to remove the demonic presence, and they couldn't. And so you've got to think, man, the scribes, they're continually trying to disprove Jesus. Like the religious elite the, the, the staff members at, the, at the, the, the Jewish temples are trying to disvalue and discredit Jesus, and so they're probably looking at this as an opportunity. Ah, see, he's a fraud. His disciples can't even cast out an evil spirit, right? So they're probably arguing about this, and, and Jesus comes in, and, and, and there's a bigger problem at play than this boy who's possessed by an evil spirit. Now, now don't get me wrong. Evil is evil, 
right? It is a problem that there is a child possessed by an evil spirit. I mean, I think, I think too often we, we don't take the devil seriously. Like we, we just kind of envision this like red creature with a pointy tail and like a pitchfork and it's like, oh, you know, lurking around and we, we, we cartoonize, Is that, that, that can be a word, right? We cartoonize um, Satan and we don't take him seriously but the Bible tells us that Satan and his principalities of darkness are real and that they have a, a power on this earth and that they are hell bent on stealing, killing and destroying anything that could honor and glorify God, that means you and me. That means right now there is an evil presence on this earth, in this city, that is hell-bent on destroying you, and the, the devil has no concern if you're a child. The devil has no concern if you've had a hard semester. The devil has no concern if your, your family is struggling. He has no concern or care for you. He is pure evil and wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you and me because as he, if he can compress the light of God out of us, then he, he diminishes the glory of God in our lives to the world around us. That is his aim today, and it is evil that there is an, a spirit possessing this child. It, it, is, it is a problem that the, the disciples cannot remove that spirit. That, these are real problems, but it is not the biggest problem. Right, try, try to put yourself in that scene. You've got a child possessed by an evil spirit convulsing. You got, you got a child possessed by an evil spirit that has tried to kill this, this child, right? You, you've, got, you've got a father who's desperately seeking healing for their, their child. Any parent in this room would understand the, the helplessness that you feel when you see your child suffering and there's nothing you can do about that. Like it is the most helpless and terrifying feeling that you can imagine. Charlie and I were talking about this a week. And, and if you're, you're not a parent, then Nonetheless, you can understand what that must feel like to have a loved one that you can't do anything about. So it is a problem, but Jesus is like, no, there's a bigger problem at play. There's something beneath all of that. And it's what Jesus wants us to get today. What is that bigger problem? Verse 19. Right, so let's go back to verse 18 and then we'll read into 19. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. That is a problem. Verse 18 is a problem. But Jesus addresses the bigger problem in verse 19. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? The biggest problem in Mark 9 is not that a child is possessed by an evil spirit. It's not that the disciples who have been empowered to cast out evil spirits were unable to do that, although those are problems. The biggest problem is unbelief in Jesus who is bigger and able to handle anything this world has to offer. The biggest problem in Mark 9 is unbelief. The biggest problem 
in our lives is unbelief. It's not the circumstances around us, although they are and can be evil and terrible. The biggest problem we face is unbelief. Let's look at the disciples first. They had unbelief in them. If you go down to verse 29, no, sorry, font is small. Verse 28, that's terrible. Like, I gotta get a bigger font Bible, I think. Gosh, like, I can't even read the numbers. They just blur together as one number at this point. No, Jen, I don't need glasses. it's 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 the print, that's the problem. It's dark, it's dark, thank you, yep. Verse 28, so, so this is at the end of the scene, right, um, where, where Jesus has healed the child, and now the disciples and the Jesus are, are off in a home privately. It says, when he entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not get rid of this evil spirit? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The, the biggest problem is unbelief. So why did Jesus, why did Mark just write that Jesus said, it's because of your lack of prayer? Let's go to Matthew. Turn to the left, I don't know, 10 pages or so, a dozen. Matthew 17. So this is Matthew's recording of the same account. Right, so Matthew was present and recorded it. Mark most likely got his account from Peter. Peter's the one that told Mark, and Mark wrote it down. Matthew was, 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 this is his account. And Matthew, when talking about this same story, You know, the disciples um, asked him, verse 19 of Matthew 17, why could we not cast it out? Same question. Jesus says, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. The root issue is faithlessness. I love this quote. I read it this week when I was studying. Prayer is faith turned towards God. We, we pray when in faith we believe there's a God who listens. We ask God for help when in faith we believe that there's a God who's able and willing to help. We pray because we trust in God. The, the problem for the disciples, the reason they could not cast this evil spirit out is that they stopped going to God for help and they tried doing it on their own. Yo, this is massive for our culture and our context. Our self-sufficient, I can handle this, let me roll up my sleeves, pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? Our culture, the problem the disciples had here was that they stopped turning to God and trusting God to do what only God can do and they tried to do it in their own strength. Self-reliance will always lack faith. And we will always find that we are unable to do what God has called us to do when we are leaning in our own strength and not trusting in him and his ways and his strength. Jesus told them in Mark 6, he sends them out in Mark 6 and he says, hey, go and cast out demons. You are empowered by me to go and cast out demons. So it's not that they lost that in Mark 9. They just stopped remembering and trusting that Jesus had empowered them to do this. And they tried operating in their own strength. Self-reliance shines the spotlight on ourself rather than on God, and it does not please or honor God. The problem that the disciples had 
was that they were not trusting and going to God to accomplish this. They were trusting in themselves. That's what Jesus says. This can only be cast out by prayer, by going to God, by trusting him to do what he says he will do, not by doing it your own strength. It's not that they said the words wrong. It's not that they moved their hands wrong or they didn't touch them right. It's that they stopped trusting in God and they were trusting in their their, their own strength, their self-reliance. That is why this problem was lingering. Because they weren't trusting in God. So now let's look at the father. The father in this story. Mark 9, 21 through 24. Let's go back up a few verses. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening? And the father said, from childhood, verse 22, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Here's the key part. But if you can do anything, Jesus, if you are able to do something here, please have compassion on us and help us. We see that the the father believed in Jesus, sort of, kind of, a little bit, Like he believed in Jesus as much as he believed in every other thing that he tried to find an answer for his son. No doubt this father is caring. No doubt this father wants his son healed. This isn't the first attempt. If this boy has been possessed since childhood, if this boy has been possessed to the point where this spirit is trying to kill him, the father cares. It's not like this is the first attempt at something. It's just now Jesus is the next in the line. Well, none of that's worked. Heard some things about this Jesus guy. Let's go see if he's able to do anything. But there's not a full trust and surrender to Jesus. Jesus is just one of the many options. Maybe it'll work. We'll see. See, the Father is doing what we often also do is we hold on to Jesus with one hand and we hold on to everything else with our other. I mean, Jesus might work out for me, but I'm also gonna hold tightly to this person over here. Jesus says that he will satisfy my soul, but I really need the love and affection of this person as well. Jesus says that he will take care of all my needs, but I'm also gonna hold tightly to my security and comfort of possessions and money and job. This is what the Father is doing. He's, man, he's, he's holding on to Jesus, but he's also holding on to something over here and, and maybe some you know, hypnosis over here or maybe this Eastern mysticism over here. Like he's, Jesus is just one of the many things that he's hoping, wishing, perhaps maybe will be the answer that he's looking for. He, but he's doubting Jesus. He's not really trusting Jesus. A trust, a faith, a belief moves us into an action. I oftentimes give the illustration of a chair right? If I, if I grab this chair and I believe, you know, like, man, I think this will, will hold me. Like, the, the engineering looks good. It looks all right. Trust that the Bible talks about. Let's go of my own control. I'm not relying on anything except this chair to hold me up. If this chair falls, I fall. But so often with Jesus, right, we want to sit on the chair, but we also want to hold on to this over here, in case Jesus lets us down, like, okay, I'm still okay, right? And the trust that Jesus calls us to is a trust that sits fully in his power, in his word, in his ability. And so this father, he's doubting. Jesus, if you're able to do anything, will you do something here? And Jesus responds to him, verse 23, if you can, it, if I'm, if, if I'm able, if I'm able, 
If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Same thing he told the disciples. For the one who believes, the one who has the faith, the grain of a mustard, so you can tell the mountain to move from here to there and it will do it. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus flips, he takes the if. He says, it's not if I'm able, it's if you will believe. See, we want to put the problem with Jesus. Jesus, if you will follow through with this, if you will solve this, if you can do this, if you are good enough, if you can carry my hurts, if you will, will pick me up, if you will provide for all of my needs. And, and that's where the problem is. The problem is not with Jesus, the problem is with us. If we will trust him with our needs, if we will trust him with our hearts, if we will trust him with our future, all things are possible. But the problem lies with us in our lack of faith our unbelief. The bigger problem here is not the circumstance. The bigger problem is the unbelief. They don't want to fully take Jesus at his word. Maybe 80%, but I'll hold on to the other 20. On a good day, perhaps 95%, but I got this five. The biggest problem here is lack of faith. Why is faith so important? Like why is that the deal breaker here? Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means to, to cast out this demon without faith is dishonoring to God. It's not that God doesn't want the healing, it's that the, the faith is what pleases God the most. So without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. If we do anything without faith, we are not pleasing God in that moment. We're relying on our own strength. We're elevating ourselves instead of him. But then the second thing is, by God's design, faith is what positions us to receive and experience his power and presence. I've tried to communicate this, you know, many times, right? One of the best ways I can, I can think of it is, man, you, you go hop in the middle of a lake with a sailboat, you can't make the wind blow, but you sure as heck can set the sail. And that's faith. Faith is setting the sail. All right, God, I can't control you. I'm not responsible for you. I can't make you do anything, but I can set the sail so that when your wind blows, I'm ready to go. Faith is what positions us to receive the power of God. Remember the woman in Mark 5? She'd been bleeding for over 10 years. She, she'd spent all of her money on doctors. They couldn't figure it out. And then she hears of Jesus, and she says, he is the one. And she surrenders everything just to move her way to the front of the crowd so that perhaps she could just reach out and touch his cloak. And it says that when she reached out and touched his garment, that a power goes from Jesus and healed her. And Jesus turned around and he's like, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, bro, everybody's touching you, man. We're in a mob of people. And he's like, no, no, I know people are, are reaching out and putting their hands on me, but someone touched me. Someone by faith touched me. And this woman comes up and she's like, this is me. I, I reached out and touched you. And Jesus says, daughter, by your faith you are healed. Which makes me ask, what if she never reached out and touched him? 
my guess is she goes the rest of her life without healing. I'll be the first to admit, I don't know how God's sovereignty and my faith blend together. I don't know how they perfectly fit, but somehow by the kindness of God, he has decided that it's our faith that moves us into the place to receive the power and grace that he's already pouring out. It's up to us if we will trust him and position ourselves to receive. The problem here is unbelief. The, the root issue for the circumstances in their life was unbelief. That was the bigger issue. So we, we see, right, Verse 25, Jesus saw that a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus heals the boy. Healing comes. The evil spirit's sent out. What changed? What shifted between verse 23 and verse 25? I'm sorry. Yeah, 23 and 25. Verse 24 is the turning point of what changed here. The father says, I believe, help my unbelief. The turning point that sees the, the change in circumstances comes when the father says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe Jesus helped my unbelief. Now what I want to be clear here about, because I've struggled with this, because I'll, I'll oftentimes say, I mean even, gosh, recently, this week, week before, right? Like, gosh, I, I'm lacking faith. Like I need, more, I need more faith, right? If I could have the faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed. So the problem with this, right, is that when we think that way, when we look at something, we go, man, the problem is that I lack faith, I need more faith, we, envisual, we, we visualize this like internal reservoir, right? And it's like, man, my faith is here. It's gotta get to here in order for this to change, right? Like, help my unbelief, God. Like, I need you to fill up my faith so that I then have enough faith that, that the change happens. Right? Are you tracking with me? Anyone else think that way? Like, gosh, I just, I need to get from whatever smaller than a mustard seed to the size of a mustard seed so that I can move this mountain, and the problem with that is we'll never know when we're there. Something doesn't go right and we're like, well, I guess I need more faith, right? Like I just keep trying to get more faith and all we're actually doing is putting it in our, our own strength at that point. Like we're, we're making it about us. It wasn't that the father needed this much faith but only had this much faith. It was that faith is an all or nothing for Jesus. It's that his faith was misplaced. It, it was that he was to take his faith and put it all on Jesus. Whatever amount it is, mustard seed, acorn, I, I really blanked on other seeds. <laughs> it happens. Right? It, it wasn't the size of the seed of the faith. I don't know where I'm going anymore. It was that the faith he had was split and divided. Jesus didn't say, man, you gotta have a level eight. Jesus just said, take your level two and put it all on me. 
Put all of your faith on me. Because it doesn't matter if your faith is a two and mine's a eight and someone else's a 47. It's all about Jesus anyways. The problem for this father was that he was dividing his faith. All right, Jesus, I want you over here, but I'm not gonna let go of this over here. And so what we see here is not so much a prayer of like, hey God, I need you, to, I need you to pour in some more faith in me. What we see here is a prayer of confession and repentance. God, I haven't trusted fully in you. And it's evidenced by fill in the blank. I'm gonna stop trusting in this. I'm gonna trust wholly in you. The turning point here was a, a prayer of confession and repentance, of surrender, of total trust in Jesus, not a divided faith. That's where the, the transformation takes place. And that's what Proverbs 3 tells us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. The faith that Jesus was looking for from this father was a whole heart of faith. It's not a capacity level. He just wants all of our faith. Trust in the Lord. Listen, listen, listen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in the Lord with 70% of your heart and 30% in something else. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he, here's his promise. You get to decide if you're gonna believe it or not. He will make your path straight. We get to decide if we're gonna trust that or not. Be not wise in your own eyes. Come on, y'all. That's us. We're smart people. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. He's after our whole hearts. He doesn't care if your faith is the size of a mustard seed or the size of something else. He just wants all of it. And his promise is that he will make your path straight it will be healing to your bones and refreshment to your souls. Because I've just been thinking about this week, it's like, all right, God, what do you want for us? Our biggest problem is unbelief. I know that every one of us has come in here with issues, challenges, trials, problems, hurts, habits, whatever, and they're real and they're heavy and there's some evil injustices in this world but our biggest issues I'm not saying they aren't issues our biggest problem is unbelief will we trust God with those issues and problems will we actually surrender it to him we like the disciples we like to we try to we try to do it on our strength all right, I can do this. I can do this. I can muster up more faith. I can pray the right prayers. I can read my Bible enough. I can, and, and, and we're, we're trusting in a, 
something else. I mean, Jesus says in John 17, you you hold so highly the words, but the words just point to me. I'm the end, not not the words. I'm the end. We don't believe he's able. We don't believe he's willing. We don't believe he's good. We We don't trust him. I believe that God wants to bring transformation to our life today. I, I do. I believe, I believe for me. Y'all, I, I don't stand here and, and talk like I've already worked through this. I'm good. Like, I, this is real time for me. I'm ta- I'll sit down and talk to myself right now. I believe God wants to bring transformation to my life, and the biggest issue I have is unbelief in him. Will I trust him that even when this is not going well, he's actually taking what man meant for evil and working it for good? Will I trust him in that or will I try to continue to work and manufacture and fix and clean this up? My biggest issue is unbelief fully and wholly in Jesus. Can, can I tell y'all what, what, where, where it breaks down? I believe God is able to do anything he wants to. I just don't know that he's willing to do it in my life here and now. Anyone else feel that way? Come on, we're getting there. I believe he can do it. I just, there's a gap between God and me and I haven't trusted enough that that gap is actually not there because Jesus came and his Holy Spirit lives in me. And so I create a gap in my unbelief. I mean, he's just walking, falling around, trying to be close to me and I'm like, no, I gotta get this. I gotta figure this out. I gotta figure this out, right? And he's like, hey, will you just turn to me? Stop this. But in the depths of my soul, I I lean on my own understanding. I try to do more, do better, and do faster. And he's like, man, I've already done it all. That is our biggest problem. We want to be happy in this life, right? We do. We all want to be happy. It's okay to say it. The Bible talks about it. We want to be happy, truly happy. And yet Jesus tells us, blessed, or can be translated happy. That's from the Greek, y'all. That's not just English translation. From the Greek, that word blessed, can, you can just put the word happy in there. Jesus says in Matthew 5, right? Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the pure in heart. Right, happy. Like he gives us the beatitudes. Okay, I wanna be happy. Will I trust him that his way is the happiest way I can be? Or do I not really wanna be a peacemaker because I don't like that person? And it's gonna require me to die to myself. Do we trust him? Do we really believe him at his word? Man, we got sickness and illness and death. And I, for one, believe that God is able and willing to heal our physical illnesses. Not all the time, because he does it in the Bible. But I think more than we know But my problem, if I'm being honest, man, I pray for healing like this father prayed for healing. Hey, God, will you heal this? I'm also gonna keep doing this. God, will you heal this? I'm not really counting on it, so I'm gonna gonna run this route as well. And I'm not saying don't go to doctors. Luke was a doctor, right? Jesus wasn't like, ha ha, curse it is your profession. You know, like, it's okay, but but I, I just be honest, I know my own heart. I don't actually think he's going to. Well, That's where the father was. 
I think that we, we, we miss out on, on things because we don't, we don't trust him. And when he doesn't, we don't trust that it's good. You remember Jesus? Of course you remember Jesus. Remember Jesus in the garden? <sighs> remember Jesus in the garden? I mean, he is burdened and weighed down. He is so anxious about what's to come. He is sweating blood. It's a biological reality. And Jesus prays, Father, if there's another way, let's let that happen. Did Jesus get another way? Nope. He wanted it, but that's not what, that's not what God had for him. And yet Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and despised its shame. Do we trust God enough that even if our path involves suffering, that is the path of greatest joy? Or do we think that we have to go around it in order to have joy? We're anxious and troubled about many things. But do we trust what Jesus told Martha? That the remedy to the anxious and troubled spirit we have is not getting our to-do list faster, getting it done or reorganizing it or reprioritizing it. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'll be the first to say I cognitively know that is what Jesus says. I clearly don't trust it enough because that's not where I go first. Our issue is unbelief. Fear grips us. Fear grips me. It has been a common theme in my life and yet throughout the Bible it says I will not fear because you are with me. I mean, just think about that, right? Think about the things that cause you fear. And now imagine that Jesus himself is just right there with you. He's got his arm around you. You may still have butterflies, but I'm willing to bet Jesus himself descends from heaven and sits next to you and walks with you in that thing that you're afraid of. And he's like, no, come on, we got this. We can do this, I'm with you. I I'm willing to bet you may still have butterflies, but that fear is getting left behind. Because Jesus himself is with us. So then the breakdown for me is that I don't trust that his spirit in me is enough. I don't trust it. I, I, the Bible tells me, right? Fear has no place in the presence of God. Therefore, my eyes, my, my recognition of his presence with me, my trust in his presence with me is, is divided. Unbelief is a root issue. You got relational strife. Do we trust that the most happy we will be in the relationship with others is in a selfless denial of self in the same way that Jesus denied himself for us? Do we trust that to put on humility and consider others as more significant than ourselves is actually the better way? Do we trust that forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us is the better way? Do we trust that washing the dirty feet of those around us as Jesus did is the better way? Do we truly trust him? Our issue is unbelief. So what do we do? It's not muster up more faith. Right? It's not like hustle and grind and pray like, God, I need more faith, I need more faith, I need more faith. It is confessing where we have not believed him and repenting. All right, God, I have not trusted you with this. I'm trusting you. 
And it is doing that every moment of every day until we've moved past it. Until God has healed us. Until God has reoriented our thinking with it. But y'all, our biggest issue is unbelief. It's not trusting him in everything. It's leaning in our own understanding. Will we trust him? The result is, is healing. It's life. It's freedom. It's peace. It's comfort. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that our circumstances change. Like, hear me in that. It doesn't necessarily mean that your circumstances change. But as we trust him, he gives us a joy within our circumstances that wasn't there before. We actually see that it's better to go through it with him than to be delivered from it without him. So yeah, maybe, maybe our circumstances change. Gosh, it did here, right? Did in Mark 9. Happens throughout the Bible. I think that it's there for us more than we realize. But maybe they don't change. But as we trust in him, we let go of having to have that circumstance changed because we have him. And the Bible says he's enough. And so our issue is unbelief. I just, I wanna, I wanna end with Galatians 2. I've been thinking on this verse a lot. And then, and then I wanna give us some time to reflect on this. Why would we trust Jesus? Galatians 2. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is the denial of self. Paul has denied himself and surrendered himself to Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm trusting fully in him. Every aspect of life, I live by faith in him. Why do we trust him? Because he loved me and gave himself up for me. Why? Why, Father, would we trust Jesus? Because Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. Why would you trust Jesus? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. because he, he really, actually, truly loves you. How do you know? Because he gave himself up for you. He's already come and lived and died and rose again. He's got your best in mind. He loves you. That's why we can trust him. So I just want to invite us to take a moment here. Again, this is, and you can take notes and you can hear this, but now let's let, let's let the word of God be living and active and transform us. Right, let's, I just want to invite us to a moment of faithful repentance where we choose to trust Jesus and his words and surrender our lives to him trusting that it is for our good, it is for our best. Please hear me, he is for you. What he tells you to do, what he invites you to do is for your best. No matter what the circumstances may be around you.
So let's pray. Let's take a moment to listen to the Spirit of God today. Would you start by asking God to search your heart and to know your thoughts and ask him to reveal any grievous way within you, any sinful way within you that is prohibiting you from his nearness. listening. You may be feeling a resistance to listen, to accept, to acknowledge what it is within you. That resistance is the voice of Satan. Because if there is any sinful way in you, it is a poison of hell. Not the way of life. So don't refuse or reject whatever he brings to your mind right now. God, is there any grievous way within me? Will you confess that to him? Will you, will you take that? Imagine even now grabbing that, that thought that God gave you, holding it in your hands, and will you lay it at the feet of Jesus, letting go of anything else that you hold on to so that you can fully hold on to him? God, we believe, help our unbelief. As you're reflecting and, and, and talking with God, this is, this is prayer, this is communion with God. This can happen anywhere at any time. As you're talking with God, you may also hear the voice of the devil telling you you've been here before. You've done this before and you've just fallen again. Claim what is true. That Jesus is victorious, that he walked out of the grave and that nothing is impossible for him. And that in this moment, Jesus purchased in full your freedom. That if you have trusted in Jesus, your sins are forgiven in full and you are a pure, spotless son or daughter before the God of this world. Receive that. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. 
To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.